Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. In this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Maddie Marie Teagles. She has been in the trenches as a medical SLP around the world for over 25 years and has now been an assistant professor for four years. Her favorite course that she totally geeks out on is anatomy and physiology. Her specialties are in the area of dysphagia and voice, but since she has stepped into her assistant professor and clinical supervisor position, she is working hard to help students bridge the gap between class and clinic. She has written and published one book, two chapters in colleagues' books, and is soon to publish her second book. She also sits on the executive committee for Minnesota Speech-Language Hearing Association, her state SLP organization, as the Future Professionals Committee Advisor. Her website, Fresh SLP, and her podcast, The Missing Link for SLPs, focus on just that as she strives her best to provide courses for new and transitioning SLPs. Her courses target how to provide skilled intervention from the very beginning of our careers that we provide as SLPs, think training wheels here, and also the professional skills needed to not only survive our careers, but thrive in our careers. If you ask her patients and students one thing they will all remember is how much she loves her work. She may not look like it, but she is a huge introvert, and when she's not actively working as an SLP, she is almost always reading and writing. She has written over a with writing over a million words per year, listening to amazing Chicago blues bands, or spending time with family. She's ridden motorcycles for many years, and this past summer completed a 1,300-mile solo trip to the Badlands of South Dakota and Needles Highway and stayed in a haunted house. Her work on Fresh SLP and the Missing Link for SLP's podcast and Badass SLP is her legacy, giving back to a career that has so richly rewarded her. I just loved everything about this conversation. I just adore Maddie. She's amazing, amazing, amazing. And please check out all of her resources. She mentions a few podcast episodes in this episode um, that are really, really great. So please do check those out. And thanks for listening. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. 
This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Maddie. Good morning, Teresa. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you so much for joining me. I know I've heard about you, seen you in the, you know, cyberspace world for years and years, and it's so, so, so nice to finally connect. So thank you so much for coming on. And I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. Likewise, I think you and I are both just going to have a great conversation because we totally geek out on what we love. Yes. That's what this is all about. Yes. Awesome. All right. So if people don't know who you are, can you give them just a a little brief snippet of who Maddie is. Sure. I'm Maddie Marie Teagles, and I have a huge passion and purpose for what we do as speech-language pathologists. I come from many years in the medical SLP field all around the world, um, having practiced so in a variety of settings, inpatient, outpatient, acute, intensive, private practice, home health. I've got it all covered. It's been a great field. I currently am now sitting in as a, an assistant graduate professor for a CSD program and loving, loving, loving that. I also have, when I go home, I am truly one of those people. I go home and I open up my computer and then I work on some website stuff. So I have a podcast, the missing link for SLPs. I have a website, fresh SLP, the badass SLP. I love what we do. And I love what we can be just the difference that we make in the lives of those we work with, whether it's students, clients, patients, school setting, wherever we are. So that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah, I love it. And I think, you know, before we got on the air, Maddie and I were sort of talking about, you know, this delicate balance of, you know, teaching students and empowering students without being too far over their head, but it, but still you know, keeping our, our level of education high quality. And that's such a tall order to figure out is how, how do we, you know, have these conversations, keep students interested without overwhelming them, you know, with way too much knowledge. And, and it's a, and I I love that you brought that point up because it's definitely something I struggle with, with the podcast. You know, it's, I, I have a variety of guests. There's a variety of, some people sort of dabble in med SLP. Some people are so far, you know, extreme researchers in specific topic areas. So it's, it's tough to navigate that. So yeah, I'd love to hear now that you're so entrenched in teaching and, and graduate students, you know, I'd love to hear sort of your side of that. I would love to share my side of that because I see these students who arrive in grad school and they come and they sit in my office and I say, Oh, what's your big why? And like, Oh, this is what I want to do. Grad school can be a hall and that's, they work hard and they get down on the other side in their clinical fellowships and they're like, I'm ready to go take on the world. And there's a little bit of a grad school bubble burst where it's like, okay, this is reality. And I know what I don't know. And I don't know what I don't know. And how do I move forward into, into my careers? And so the piece that I'm finding to be so instrumental for these new speech pathologists are how do I make that clinic to classroom connection, classroom um, to clinic connection, both ways back and forth. And so it's taking what they know, taking what the professors have told them they know, what they've tested that they know, 
and integrating that into their practices. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. All right. Where, where should we start today? I guess where should we start our conversation? So another thought that I just had is, you know, thinking about the problems that um, new and transitioning SLPs have, they have this insight into what they know and what they don't know, but they're not always sure where to get those resources and how to find those resources that come in at their level. And so being mindful that us in the cyberspace world, gosh, so much, so many of us have this passion and this talent to create and remembering to pull it in at the level, you know, you know how we scaffold our goals in therapy, kind yep. of scaffolding what we create. Yep. Yep. I'm curious, Maddie, as a, as a professor, as a supervisor, how do you, how do you educate your students, inform your students, I guess, on what's out there? without introducing your own biases. And I mean that because I think there's a lot of wonderful resources out there, but some people will say, well, don't listen to that because of X, Y, Z, or don't read that because of X, Y, Z. And I just don't think that's fair because it may not apply to you specifically, but it might apply to somebody else. And I think as educators, I I think we have to really sort of set our own personal biases aside and just let students know what is out there, but also empower them to be critical thinkers. And, you know, some of it might be for you, some of it might not be for you. And it's up to you to make that decision about what's best for your career and your patients. Right, right. I love that you bring this up because in the teaching system, we actively focus on not being biased. That's one thing that we teach our students, choosing assessment tools, choosing therapy approaches, the way we say things, very DEIB inclusive, just making sure we include everybody. So to answer your question specifically, um, there was a point in a class I had one time and this, this student raised her hand in the back and she's like, professor, and I had shown a YouTube video it was um for clinical methods and research and we were just, you know, talking, it was an undergrad level course, what is covered in Ash's Big Nine. And I showed a YouTube video and the it um the person was showing how to do our tick therapy and she was bubbly and she was Caucasian and she was blonde and she was what you would consider a stereotypical SLP. So she said, Well, that's not me. How do I do that? So one, we choose resources that are so inclusive. And we're very mindful of how we choose those resources for the SLPs that we have our students look, watch, learn from, not just the the Caucasian blonde perky SLP. We choose a wide variety of approaches, a wide variety of, of like I said, DEIB And with students, we take that other intentional step of, you don't have to be like this. This is an example, a model for you to follow. Now you go be you. And so giving them the the resources, giving them the, not permission, students sometimes need permission, but the approval to go ahead and be who they are and then teach them to critically think, just like we work our way through assessments. So we did one just the other day with Simucase, and we um, did the, I think it was the self. Anyways, there was, there was one of the pieces where we were working on dialectical markings, and it was not the self, but it did not do a good job. So the students, I led them through discussion, why was this not a good assessment tool? And do the same with the same resources that we find out there. 
Um, there are a lot of people that can hang up a shingle and create a beautiful website and have a lot to offer. Everything also needs to be looked through with the evidence-based eyeglasses and the functional-based eyeglasses. And is this really what we want? And teach those students the critical thinking skills so they are not biased yeah. or, or as unbiased as they can be. And they're aware of the biases that they do bring, their inherent biases. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I know it's a like I said, a tall order to tackle in graduate school. So thank you for... That was a good question. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's sort of go off of that. How do we work on bridging the gap between classroom and clinic? To bridge the classroom to clinic connection, we work on supporting the students in creating those connection points for them and very clearly identifying this is what you learned in the classroom and this is how we apply it in clinic. So much of what is presented in the classroom is from textbooks or um, open resource materials, which I absolutely love. And the professors that I work with are excellent professors. And we recognize the importance of the practicing clinician and pull those supervisors, pull those stories in where we talk about, this is what you learned in class and here's how it applies in the clinic. And it's just really pointing those examples out, pulling those case studies in, pulling those um, and helping the students walk their way through. Now, here's what you learned in class. How does this apply here in assessment, in goal making, in building rapport and have them turn and integrate what they've learned into the different settings in a variety of settings and a variety of clients. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned the importance of case studies because I, I think what's so fascinating is in, you know, in, in the MedSLP collective, we, you know, we always try to get the greatest speakers and the greatest webinars and the greatest resources. But what's so fascinating is we just get so many requests for just interesting case studies. Like, I just want to see how this you know, one patient or how this one SLP manage this one patient. And, you know, I just think it's great that at the graduate level that you are really emphasizing the importance of case studies, because as clinicians, we get out there, you know, and it's like, well, we know all this research, we know all this research, we know how it applies, but just Mm -hmm. hearing, I think, sort of the critical thinking of what the clinician does, or, okay, you have this picture perfect. And I'm, you know, I'm doing air quotes plan of how you're going to treat this patient and then <laughs> all hell breaks loose and all plans go to the wayside or the patient has yeah. an infection or the doctor doesn't sign off on it. So what do you do now? You know, and, and I think, and those are always the case studies that we present that just get so much great feedback because it's like how, you know, as a clinician, you, you know, that things are not always going to go as planned, how you navigate that, with the patient's wishes and with, you know, the family requests is really what makes a great, a great SLP. So I love that you're, you know, teaching them the importance of case studies early on. So I have a case study I can share with you that I absolutely loved. Once upon a time, I had a student with me and we were up on the inpatient floor and I totally geek out on anatomy and physiology. So I had had her as an undergraduate student. We talked about, you know, just the development of the the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous systems and how the feedback loop in the brain is. And we went to do uh, an inpatient clinical swallow evaluation. And when we walked into the room, we introduced ourselves, did the two-part patient identification. And he was, he'd had, he was anxious about his eating because he was having some struggles. It was scary for him to eat. 
So we, we did our swallow eval. We did our first, you know, thin liquid trial and he responded by, you know, increased shortness of breath. And so I took my hand and I, I just put it on his, his, you know, up by his collarbone and pressed slightly and, and grounded him slightly to just kind of ground that, that parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system to see if the shortness of breath would change. So my question to her then was, is the shortness of breath, do you think it's related to a possible aspirant or penetration event, or is it possibly related to an anxiety component? Now, we as speech pathologists do not address the mental anxiety part of it, but understanding that when we do something and this happens, this is the critical thinking piece. Yeah. So we know what aspir- you know, clinical swallows are hard because we don't have the instrumentation, but just understanding and pulling in that course room knowledge into the settings that we work in. I'm really fortunate in the fact that I teach four days a week, long days, love my days. And then I carry a clinic on Friday because my heart is just in my clinic. Yeah. And so I, can pull students on with me and we do get the best of both worlds. Oh, that's great, Maddie. That's great. I I really love that you shared that piece because I think what we're learning as SLPs, we're learning so much more about different body systems and things that have such an impact on what we do. You know, we, we work with this little small box for swallowing or we work Mm -hmm. with cognition or, you know, we work with speech, but there's so many other things and so many other conditions that, can have an impact on what we do that I, you know, I'm glad that we're learning so much more about that stuff. And I think if we can impress upon grad students now that there's going to be conditions that you had no idea about, or you had no idea even could impact what we do. And, and I think that's always, it's terrifying, but it's also really cool to figure those pieces out Mm -hmm. when we do. So, you know, I read a really good book um, called cutting for stone. It's about Ethiopian medicine. And it's just, it was such a good book because they don't have the instrumentation to support what they do. So the physician, it's written by a physician and he walks in and all the things that he's able to notice about the patient, the skin color, the odor, the eyes, the the breathing, the, the posturing, so much needs to be included in our overall we walk in and we do, you know, we do our chart reviews and then we launch right into the clinical swallow evaluations. How wise would it be for us to just pause and stop for a minute and collect and observe? Yeah, that's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I think, so, you know, we talked about case studies, we talked about body systems, things like that. What are, do do you work with scripts and things like that? Sort of what is your approach with, with students? I do work with scripts and I know scripts are traditionally something that we use as a therapeutic tool specifically for like aphasia clients i've taken it a step further just you know thinking outside the box a little bit and providing students or new and transitioning slps with scripts because it's easy to walk in the door and say hi i'm maddie your speech therapist where do i go from there and students have a hard time understanding how to not have a linear conversation but to have a lateral conversation and understand and follow follow where that conversation needs to go yeah. with the patient, with the caregiver. And so it's much like, like being on an improv stage, I teach the students, you know, 
whatever is you're on the stage as the speech therapist, you are on this stage who's joining you on the stage is whoever you're talking with. And the conversation, we do have an endpoint in mind. We do need to discuss our results and our recommendations. We do need to collect feedback and, and get their input. And the scripting method is a way of saying, this is who I am, clear, simple, straightforward language, and then allowing those conversations to take their natural organic turn and then how to respond back to those conversations, still keeping it focused, but coming from a conversation point where you're strong in what you're saying versus totally cannonballing it. Yeah. Yeah. And losing track of really where you need to go. Yeah. You know, I've had experiences in my life. I know you've had experiences in your life. And I think something that I'm so passionate about more and more as, as more experiences I get is just asking the patient what they want and what the family mm-hmm. wants and what mm-hmm. their needs and wishes and desires are. And I think we do a great job, you know, of, of this sort of script training and how you deliver this news and how you provide results and recommendations and things. But I just, I've had my own experiences before where sometimes, and, and this is not going to come out nice. And I'm, I'm prefacing that knowing full knowing that, but sometimes I just want to say to a clinician, like, just shut up and ask what the patient wants, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I, cause I've had that happen to me before. I've had doctors, you know, tell me about things with my son and they're just talk, 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 talking at me. And none of this is anything like what we actually want. And, and I know that was harsh. I know that was abrupt. Please don't, you know, please don't send me nasty emails about that. That that ignites a fire in me for a reason. Yeah. And, And I so badly just want to be like, just stop and let me explain what I want. And then we can make a plan together. So, yeah. So, so please, I, I'd love, you know, I know you've had some experiences in your life too. And, and I'd love to hear how that sort of shaped your script training with your students as well. I have, and I've been like you where it's just like, just listen, yeah. just listen. So that's how I cue my students. Just, it's, it's just, just listen And I teach my students, and this is what I do in my clinic practice. When I have someone who walks in my, in my clinic room, I'm like, you're the guest of honor. Here's your seat. This is all about you. And I, my laptop is closed until I really have something to write and add. I'm a firm believer in opening and and being in that medical chart and charting all the way through the session. But that first little bit of just let me listen to you because you and treating our patients and our, their caregivers as the, as the guest of honor is really an important approach that's really changed over the years. Back when I started um, a while ago, we were the experts and the doctors were the experts and, you know, hardly was that patient in the bed seen as having a lot to contribute. Listen to them, pause, include them, listen to what they're saying and also what they're telling you. They can be two different things. And then respond to them, validate what they're saying. I had a, a woman tell me one time, she said, well, I know this sounds crazy, but, but this really happened. And I said, well, medically, I don't understand it either, but I believe in what you experience. So validate what they're saying. Yeah. I wrote a chapter in a book, uh, just it last week it came out and we made M, number one Amazon bestseller. Yeah. I parented with a parenting coach. She's a global parenting coach expert. And the chapter I wrote was the Marine and his little boy, three steps for successfully supporting your child in their communication challenges. And it, it has the skilled intervention 
piece that we do, but it has a huge parent coaching piece. And I think our field would do well to include, and I know they are in the school systems, but also in the medical system, pulling in that critical patient and, and caregiver coaching piece, which is about listening. Yeah. I think it was so interesting as I actually went at a dentist appointment, an emergency dentist appointment. I was out of town at my brother-in-law's wedding last week and just had this awful, awful tooth pain. And so mm. this emergency dentist, I thought it was like, I needed an emergency root canal or something. right oh, the no. center. But he was like, I honestly just can't find what's going. He's like, it t- seems to me, it's just like you're stress clenching at night. Like, are you stressed? Are things going on? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. But I was like, okay, so I'm nuts. Thank you for listening to me. And he's like, you're not nuts. And he's like, I, I'm validating what you're saying. And his bedside manner was so impressive. And I honestly, I was like, that's, I, I said that to him. I was like, your bedside manner is really impressive. And he's like, well, thank you. He's like, I, he's like, I teach at the dental school. He's like, it's something that's so important to me. And he's like, if I just sent you out of here and told you you were nuts, that doesn't do any good for either of us, you know? And he's like, you obviously came here for a reason there's an issue. We're not going to treat something that doesn't exist, but we're going to go through the, the pieces to the puzzle, figure out what's causing you pain. And it was, I was like, oh my gosh, it was so, it was a, a very big lesson learned in exactly what you said, listening and, and validating your patients. Because I think there's a lot of times, unfortunately, whether we're busy or it's productivity that it's like, why well, I, I can't duplicate what you're experiencing, you know, sorry, maybe go get a second opinion, you know? It, it, and it's like, it's not, not meant to be heartless, but on the other hand, it can be perceived that way, you know, and I, I think we just have to be cognizant and we owe our patients more respect than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know you said I could put plugs in here and I'm not a big salesy person, but, and the missing link for SLPs, we just finished a whole entire series called the speechless SLP. And we interview Vanessa Abraham, who is a school-based SLP on a Thursday um, and she's an AAC expert in her school system. On a Thursday, she wasn't feeling well. By Saturday, she's in an intensive care unit trached. And the whole episode series, uh, the whole series is on what it, it's like from her perspective, being the patient in the bed. One episode, we bring in Dr. Rosen and we talk about with him what it's like treating a patient who cannot talk and how it is so challenging for him when the patient can't even say what's wrong or where they hurt or anything else like that. We talk with her husband. We talk with her SLPs. We talk with her PTs. We talk with her trauma unit counselor. So it's understanding that perspective of the patient in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. I'll have to find that and share that Maddie. Yeah. So thank you for, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. How would you, how would you change the conversation with caregivers regarding their involvement of the care of their loved one? We sort of talked a little bit about how SLPs should approach patients and caregivers, but how would you change the conversation from the caregiver perspective? Oh my gosh. If ever there is a question that is pivotal in my success as a speech language pathologist, it is that question because caregivers often don't feel they have a space in that hospital room. When you walk in the room, they back up against the window or they go to the corner where the chair is and you, you, you're talking with the patients and you're, you're, you should also be pulling those caregivers in that conversation. They are as valuable as your nurses and as valuable, of course, as your patient's input. 
really validate who they are, what they know, what they know about the patient. They know that patient really well, and they are going to be a stakeholder in this patient's recovery and or lack of recovery if if that's the way it goes and helping them understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, where you're coming from with your recommendations is going to increase the likelihood of your recommendations being carried through. Yeah. Yeah. And that patient recovering. I, I think what's so interesting is, is I remember, you know, when I did fees all the time, I, you know, I'd walk into a patient's room and I'd, I'd start having dialogue with the patient and the, and the family. And I specifically remember this one, I think it was a, a patient's, it was an older woman. I think it was her son. And I said, you know, can you tell me a little bit about what's been going on at home? And he's like, well, aren't you just here to do the assessment? And I said, I am. But I said, but what I do in the assessment and the recommendations that I make, I very much want to make sure that they're in line with you know, what, what you're going to carry over at home. And, and he was like, okay, well, I'll just, just do the assessment and I'll let you know if there's anything missing. And it was sort of like, I had to sort of reapproach it because he just wanted me to just do the eval and didn't, you know, thought, I don't know if he thought it was just small talk or, you know, and I finally just said, I said, look, I value your opinion. I said, you know, this woman more than I do. I literally just walked in the door. I looked at her chart, but that's all that I know. I said, you know, all the nuances, you know, all the difficulties. I said, is there anything that you think I should know before I do this? I said, if you don't want to share anything, that's fine. But if there's anything you think I should know, I, I would love to know. And he was like, oh, okay, well, you know, she had this choking episode. She's been hospitalized. for. I mean, he told me so much stuff that was not in the chart. And I was like, thank you. Like, this is so valuable. Thank you so much. Right. Okay. You know, I'm glad that was helpful. And it was just, it was such a lesson. And, and, you know, I, I have to, I guess, be a little more explanatory in my approach about why I'm, you know, I'm not just conversing with them for a small talk, but it really is a, a very important piece to the puzzle of doing our whole assessment because it does impact our recommendations. And there's another skill right there. When I was in grad school, I wrote this incredibly good detailed report and it did not get a good grade from my professor. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, she says, yes, it's excellent. If you're going to publish it, if you're going to give it to a doctor, she said, this is a report for a parent. You need to just really bring it down. And it's not in those conversations about how smart we are, how right we are, how much we know. That's going to come through loud and clear as we build our, you know, as we build our, our ability to have these straightforward, simple conversations. And that's where that SLP scripting comes back in. It's saying one thing, clear, straightforward, and to the point. And then you wait. So with the grad students, I often, you know, I'll often, when they do their intakes, when they're first starting for the semesters, they'll ask a question. So what communications and troubles is your child having? Is it, you know, is it artic? Is it language? And the the parents like, what? Or when we do our voice, um, because I do the voice and the swallowing here at the clinic, um, they'll launch off into a voice. It's like, ask one question and then wait. Yeah. And then follow it from there. So, yeah. And caregivers will do that. If you give them the safe space to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You said that. Cause when I wrote, I published my book last year. So you're having trouble swallowing and I published it for patients because I wanted there to be something out there, you know, as a mom, as a caregiver, I'm constantly looking for more resources for my son. So I wrote it from that perspective, but the first draft that got sent back, the first manuscript that got sent back from the editor was just like destroyed. 
And they took out like so many of my conversational stories. And I was like, you like cut the book in half. And he was like, well, he's like, because you need to just get to the point. He's like, I understand the point of the story and we'll massage it so we can leave some of, you know, your personal anecdotes in there, but they just want to get to the point and you don't have to have all this fluffy conversational language. And I was so hurt. Like I was so upset (laughs) because I just, I don't know. I just wanted it to be conversational, but he's like, but from a caregiver perspective, they're picking up this book. They want to know, you know, they want to know X, Y, and Z will help my, you know, mom's daughter. Yes. And they want to get on with their day. I was like, okay, fine. So it was, yeah, it was a, that was another big lesson in, in writing for, you know, I, I think I, I, I've gotten good at writing my reports concisely, but this was just a whole nother beast that I wasn't predicting. Considering who your audience is. Yeah. Yep. And considering, I, doesn't research show us that um, medical setting language needs to come in at the third grade level? Yes. And I think we, I think sometimes egos get the best of us and we want to sound smart and we want to speak the language of physicians and, and all that jazz. But yeah, it's, it's a great It's story. not about us though. Yeah. It's about them. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. Imagine that. It's not about us. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> that's something that the students also learn. Yeah. And that's a really, really neat transition. I think one of my favorite things about being a professor is those aha moments. Yeah. I just, I just love them. It gives me goosebumps. And also those moments where a lesson has, as the aha moment, that's where that lesson has been learned. So that takes us back to bridging the clinic and classroom. Yep. All right. What's your, what's your secret sauce of being an SLP, Maddie? Do you have something? (laughs) I do have a secret sauce. Building rapport. The ability to build connections with whoever you're talking with, patient, physician, nursing, caregiver, uh, rad tech, dietary, it's coming in at their level. Again, it's about the conversation is focusing around them and being malleable to what your conversation partner needs and really building that rapport. So when you say something, you're credible. Yep. Yeah, thank you. I think that's so 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 important. Is that something that you is that something that you you specifically you, we talk about script training things like that? Is that something that you specifically do in the grad program? I do. Yeah, I do, and I do it on my website as well. Yeah, um, I've got a series of courses. We're, we're migrating over from a previous website, but it's all the soft skills or professional skills, whichever term you care for. We work so hard in the grad school and the whole series is titled what you didn't learn in grad school. Not because I think grad school falls short, but I think grad school is a huge, huge lift. And I know my faculty team here. I love my faculty team and we work hard and there just simply isn't enough time to teach everything we need to teach. And we teach what we need to based on ASHA accreditation and all of that. And there's also these wonderful opportunities to learn really how to be successful in your career, such as rapport building, conflict resolution, time management, um, being a team player, getting along well with others um, that are so important as well. And those are things that um, as SLPs step into there, you can find mentors at your state level. Um, I sit on my Minnesota executive committee as the future professionals advisor, as advisor, 
and we have a mentorship program. ASHA has great mentorship programs. So for students and new SLPs out there listening to that, to this, go find some mentors who can teach you those fill in the gap skills that you really, really need to be an effective clinician. Yeah. I I think those things are just so important, you know, not, not just for SLPs and grad programs, but just sort of all medical professionals. I know I was on a, um, an ENT podcast about a month or two ago. And there was something that I said that, you know, they said, Oh my gosh, how, you know, we are not taught that in med school. You know, we are not taught how to have these interprofessional conversations and, and how to approach other professions about the same patients like that. And I was like, Oh, really? Like, I thought that was just our field and <laughs> we weren't no. that good at but and, and we actually got into a conversation about, you know, she's like, there just should be something more done across medical professions yeah. as a whole. But, you know, obviously each of our own professions were just taught our very specific, right. uh, you know, technical, technical skills and yeah, well, maybe. Well, that's what I did with the course, what you didn't learn in grad school at Fresh SLP. And interestingly enough, Dr. Rosen was one of the guests, uh, neurologist with, with Vanessa Abraham on the Speechless SLP series. And he brought that up about bedside manner. He was one of those physicians that went to some of those extra courses that were offered. They were optional lectures. But the ones that went to those lectures are the ones that were known as being more successful um, physicians, because they're able to enter those conversations, those critical conversations with whoever on their care team. And it's not about, you know, as SLPs, we're supposed to be excellent communicators and we, we know about what we know about, but it's also, it's, there's an art to communication. There's an art to what we do as speech pathologists. We're not just uh, a straight science. Yep. We have an art to what we do. Yep. I love that. Do you have any best words of advice that you did not follow, Maddie? (laughs) Yes. Follow your dreams. Plan your career. And bravely chase after that. So many people in my, well, not so many people, but um, I had one mentor who was just not very nice. And she would... um, Always, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Look at where you want to go with your career, what you want to do, and and plan that and step into it. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Find those resources, find those like-minded individuals who make things happen like you do, and then go make it happen. I love that. I love that so much. I, I think, you know, it's something that I just, I love so much about what I do is that, there, I just want other people to love what they do too. And I don't care what that looks like. I don't care what setting it's in. I don't care what population it's in. I don't care if it's not even an SLP world. I want you to figure that out. I want you to do that inner work, that deep work to find out what makes you tick and what you're passionate about. You know, I hate that saying like, you know, if you're, if you love your work, you'll never work a day in your life. Like that's, I don't, I don't believe in that, but it makes the work that much more fulfilling. Like I work a lot of hours, but I love what I do because I'm doing what I love. And it's very, very, very fulfilling to me. And I just, I want that for other people so badly. And I just, I I get sad. Like it breaks my heart when I hear people that are like, I'm not happy. This isn't what I want to do. You know, I just, you know, I, I just go and and collect a check and, you know, it pays my bills, but I'm not passionate about it. And, 
I hate that because I I know that there, you know, there's so many more fulfilling aspects to our field if people just explored them. And and like I said, even even if it's not in our field, I I don't care. I just want people to do the work to figure out what makes them passionate or what what is right. Yeah. So I think I shared with you before we started recording that my husband died a number of years ago and I found myself a single mom and I had a private practice of 20 plus years, medical setting, loved what I did. And I remarried and I shifted down to a different city and I stepped back into, you know, the skilled nursing in the hospital. And there are parts of that that I really, really, really did not like. And so I decided not to stay stuck. And I think that's what you're talking about. Don't stay stuck. And so I, I hired a coach. I hired a life coach and I created this vision board and, and I'm not, I am not artsy craftsy at all. So she, we did the post-it notes. So I did a whole bunch of post-it notes on things I wanted to do, dreams, whether they were really realistic or not. And oh my gosh, I am stepping in and beyond those dreams. Whoever thought that I would be an assistant professor, whoever thought that I would have a successful podcast and have written some books, whoever would have thought these things. And so the best advice that I didn't follow was to stay in my place. So if you're an SLP that is not happy where you're at, then then don't stay there. Yep. Figure out how to get out. And that's why I have the websites and things that I do. And that's why I'm out there like you. Life is meant to be lived, enjoyed, cherished. Yep. I was talking to a friend that just feels really stuck right now. And I sort of, I don't even know how I explained it, but I was like, I just want to experience like all that life has to offer. Like I wanted to taste mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> It's like, mm-hmm. a really weird way of putting it, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't think of any other way. Like, I don't want to say that I just worked so many years and I, you know, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to, if you're happy with that, but like, I want to just love everything about life. Yeah. I want to love my family. I want to love my kids. I want to love my time. Yes. And I want to love my career. And you, and, and, and there's, I wrote a poem. Um, I am the 2% because when my first husband died, people are like, well, you're not, you're not going to do well because of this and this and this and this. Oh my gosh. And, um, I am the 2%. I am the 2% that thrives. I don't have the poem memorized, but empowering SLPs to, you know, step into their lives. Being an SLP is a small part of our lives, bigger for some of us. My children are grown, so it's bigger for me. But, um, yeah. And, and maybe because I've lost a husband. He doesn't get to live those days again. So I wake up and I'm like, hooray. So I had a patient once upon a time who he had a, a, a stroke and his ability to initiate a swallow was wiped out. So he walked into his first session with me and he had a green Mountain Dew bottle because he could spit his saliva into the Mountain Dew and you wouldn't see it droll down the inside, much like a, like a clear Pepsi bottle. So I said, Oh, what are your goals? He said, well, Valentine's Day, I want to be able to have a Maker's Mark Manhattan and celebrate my love of my life and and take her out for dinner. So sure enough, I still get goosebumps with this. Sure enough, we worked, 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 worked. And I think before Valentine's Day, I don't remember when it was because it was a little while ago, I get a call from the office and he had called and said, I swallowed, call Maddie and tell her I swallowed. And he went out and had a maker's mark. Uh, he did not have steak. I'm sure he was soft and bite-sized, um, maybe even pureed, but he had the maker's mark. 
And um, so when I celebrate now, when I go out with my kids, everybody knows that my first drink, probably my only drink, is a Maker's Mark Manhattan. And it's celebrating life, celebrating what we do. Life is not easy. I was at, I actually went to the Maker's Mark factory last week with my husband. (laughs) He was like one of those ambassadors. It was on my birthday. I'm like, this is not a place I ever thought I'd spend my birthday, but here we are. But anyways, knowing that story now, I'm like, oh, that's so like, I would have loved to have shared that story with the people that were there because yeah, it was just, it was a really cool experience. So I bet. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Maddie. Any, any final thoughts? I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation more than you know, and I love everything you're doing. I think you're just such a wonderful resource in this field, a wonderful asset to this field. I think I want to encourage everybody to check out all the things you have to offer too, because I know you have so many valuable resources as well. So any, any final thoughts? Nah, just appreciate all that you do as well, contributing to our field and living in your purpose. Thank you. I I want to make the field better for those coming behind us. Yes. Yes. Same. Same. All right. Well, thank you, Maddie. Thanks for your time, Teresa. And that's our wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.